we are continuing this series in the first letter of Peter. And the version that I'm preaching from each week is the uh, English Standard Version, the ESV. So if you want to follow the version that I've got in front of me, do try and find one of those either online or in your hands. And uh, we are going through chapter one fairly slowly, just adding a few verses each time. So verses six to nine is what we're looking at this morning. But um, we, are, uh, we will speed up in a couple of weeks time. So uh, let me, actually, well, while it comes to, me, to mind, next week, the, um, the 17th of May, we're having a mission Sunday. So we've got a guest speaker from Crosslinks and we're focusing on world mission um, and our response to that as a church, even in lockdown. So uh, do um, uh, be there for that and do uh, encourage um, everyone you know to, to join us to um, hear about what God is doing worldwide mission. And we look forward to having John McLernan uh, preaching for us next week. But for now, let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us by your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would do that now. Uh, encourage us, equip us to follow you even when we're suffering and even when life is hard. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I will just check um, a couple of settings. That looks good. So... How would you sum up your attitude and your response when suffering comes? Is it to scream and shout in rage? Is it to go quiet, to grit your teeth and press on? Is it to get active, to do whatever you can to uh, solve the problem? Is it to hide away, to put your head in the sand and try and ignore it until it's all over? Maybe we can recognise a bit of all those responses in us at different times. Well, look at how Peter sums up the attitude of the Christians that he's writing to as they suffer. Verse 6, have a look at that. In this you rejoice. What are they rejoicing in? Well, not their sufferings, but as we saw last week, the this in verse 6 in which they're rejoicing is their future hope that is guaranteed and glorious and life-changing. But rejoicing, we might think, really, you know, in the face of fear and anxiety and stress about money and the future and the children and work, and in the face of feeling like life is out of control and there's nothing I can do, in the face of grief and loneliness and depression, well, you know, I'm, I might expect to be told to grit my teeth and get on with it, you know, stiff up a lip, carry on. But don't tell me to rejoice. That is, frankly, ridiculous. Well, let's look more closely at these verses and consider what Peter might mean. Do you notice the word though in these verses? He says it three times. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Then verse 8. Though you do not see him, that's Jesus, and again, though you do not see him uh, now, no, you, though you do not now see him, do you see what he's saying? There are two main issues there that, that makes Peter remark on uh, their rejoicing, even though, he's saying, even though these things are true. 
They're rejoicing even though they are suffering and even though they do not see Jesus. Now, if you've been with us, you'll remember he's talked about them being in exile, away from home, not just physically, but spiritually. For, for, for Christian people, we are away from home with God. We are living not for now, but for when Jesus returns and brings heaven to earth. But for now, we do not see Jesus. And that makes it hard to rejoice. So in these verses, he gives three reasons that they rejoice, even though they are suffering and even though they are in exile and do not see Jesus. He says these three things. He says their faith is real, their love for God is real, and their hope for the future is real. So first from verses six and seven, their faith is real. Do you see what he says? Verse seven that their suffering proves that their faith is genuine, the tested genuineness of their faith. Now, we might say, I'm not sure I like the idea of my faith being tested by um, suffering. You know, what, what if I fail the test? Is God out to get me? Why does he have to make it so hard? But, but look at verse 7. Their faith is more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire. When you dig gold out of the ground, I'm told, I've never done this myself, sadly, but I'm told, you know, it needs to be purified. And the way it gets purified is by putting it in fire. And the fire burns up the impurities and it leaves you with precious gold, which, of course, was there all along. And faith, Peter says, is even better than gold, because even gold perishes in the end. Its glory fades. But faith and what faith points to, our future inheritance, are imperishable. And in the same way as gold, faith is shown to be genuine when it goes through fire. Because when the fire goes, it's still there at the end. The the fire strips away all the things that we try and cling on to but won't save us. You see, we, we, we so easily put our hope in, in other things, in getting life sorted here and now, you know, get the job and the house and the savings and the children sorted, or just, just get comfortable, be in control, have everything arranged just how you like it. But when suffering comes, it all gets thrown up in the air. And sometimes those things that we've been trying to hold on to, they get burnt up in the fire of suffering. They get shown for what they are. These are things you can't put your hope in beyond this life and even within this life but if we're trusting in Jesus then that lasts nothing can take that away the fire of suffering can't touch it of course it could be that when suffering comes what looked like faith turns out not to have been genuine faith at all and you do sometimes hear sad stories of people falling away from faith during hard times now it's never the end of the story when that happens And God does bring people back. But it works both ways. You see, suffering shows what's really going on underneath. It shows if there's genuine faith there. It shows if there isn't. Corrie ten Boom knew what it was to suffer. She was imprisoned in a concentration camp by the Nazis. And she said, it isn't until Christ is all you have that you realise he's all you need. So that means... We can rejoice because our faith is in something that can never perish, spoil or fade. 
And that means when suffering comes, our faith is shown to be genuine. Now, we just need to think about this a bit more because the thing is, it's sometimes confusing because we normally think of faith as the act of trusting. But faith is also about what we're trusting in. We, we, you know, we say in baptism services, particularly and other times, we say things like this is our faith, the faith of the church, that we believe in Jesus who died and rose from the dead. That word faith is, is as much about what you are trusting in as about the act of trust itself. Both are important. It's like when you see something wonderful. A couple, you know, a couple of nights ago, there was the supermoon. And um, I was in another room and, and Sue called me and said, come and look at the moon. And my response to that wasn't, well, you know, that's amazing eyesight you've got there. I wish I had eyesight like you to see the moon like that, but I'm just going to stay watching TV. Thanks very much. You know, that's not what I say. You, you don't need extra special super eyesight to see the moon. You don't even need binoculars. You can just go and look out of the window and you will see the beautiful, large, clear moon with all its craters lit up. So in all this talk here about suffering, proving that our faith is genuine, the spotlight isn't just on us as Christians and whether or not you're really believing in him. What's happening is that the one in whom we are trusting is also being proved to be genuine too because in suffering even as all our other props and all our other crutches fall away and we see actually I can't put my trust in money and wealth and happiness and comfort here and now but I can put my trust in Jesus who rose from the dead because that hasn't changed as we saw last week and so the genuineness of both the content and the act of our faith is proven to be genuine in times of suffering. So do you see how this transforms how we approach hard times? You know, even these hard times now, our attitude so often is to say, well, no good can ever come from suffering. You know, there can be no joy. If there's suffering going on, there can be no joy. No, forget that. And so we seek to avoid it and minimize it at all costs. I think Peter would say, don't be so hasty. Look at how he describes these trials in verse six. He says, they are for a little while worth letting that sink in a little while they're not forever this is not how it's always going to be and we know that because Jesus has risen from the dead it won't always be like this Do you remember last week if you were here life is more like a comedy in the theatrical sense than a tragedy heading for eternity it won't always be like this this is just for a little while and then that little phrase if necessary if necessary. It's a tiny phrase, but why would he say that? Remember, we have seen what is true of Jesus is true of his people. And one of the phrases Jesus himself used was the son of man must suffer. It happens in the gospels. He keeps saying it. It's the same word as here, necessary. It is necessary for the son of man to suffer. And so because what is true of Jesus is true of his followers, Jesus' followers will suffer as they follow Jesus, but Peter says, if necessary. In other words, the suffering that comes is not more than is necessary to refine our faith. It's not that God is pouring out as much suffering as he can possibly think of. No, it is the necessary suffering. It was necessary for Jesus to to suffer and there won't be more than is necessary to refine 
our faith. We're looking at Job in the evening services at the moment, the third one this evening. And that book is helpful for thinking through the hardest cases of undeserved suffering. And it helps us to see that God is not the author of evil. Evil doesn't come from him as if he's in charge of, of, um, of, of evil, but he's still in control. He's still in control. And he permits it within his sovereign plan. And the book of Job reminds us that we can't always nail every, everything down and say, well, you yeah, know, this is why I'm suffering. Actually, it may feel deeply unfair and difficult but here Peter is reminding us it's never more than is necessary it will cause grief actually can you see that verse six this is important to see it will cause grief and that is okay there's a danger sometimes that Christians think we're not allowed to be sad not allowed to lament because the bible says rejoice so you know I'd better get on with with doing that and I'd you know better not let the side down but actually read what Peter's saying here. He's, he's saying grief is actually part of the suffering and part of what refines our faith. People who study disasters and crises say that, you know, when they've looked at this lockdown, they said the grief that comes from all that we've lost and suffered and that, 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 that we continue to in this time, actually that is going to be with us a whole lot longer than the suffering itself. It may just be helpful for us to be aware of that and to look out for it we need to know that and remind each other of that in, in in months to come because if we think as i said before in the notices if we think we're going to click our fingers and go back to normal just overnight well i don't think that's going to happen and all the expressions of frustration and tears and grief that goes with that they're all part of the suffering but they're part of the suffering that refines us if you want to see lament and grief modelled, go to the Psalms, where the psalmists are, are, are realistic about what this Christian life looks like. But Peter assures us all of this is refining our faith. It is helping us not to put our trust in things that won't last and to put our trust only in the one who will last because he's already died and risen from the dead. So then, even in the midst of all this difficulty, bottom line, you can rejoice. And so then he goes on. Their faith is real and their love for God is real. Verse 8. So he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. This is about what it means to know Jesus when you are exiled from him, when you can't see him because we might say when we're suffering well you know this is when i need jesus this is frankly when i need god to show up and and him being hidden from me well that comes as a double whammy and it seems to challenge my faith especially when things are hard because you know maybe my atheist friends are right and i'm just speaking into thin air we think peter says yes it's true you haven't seen jesus he had, of course. Peter had been with Jesus face to face, but most of the rest of the human race and the followers of Jesus have not seen him. That doesn't mean you can't love him and believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible. 
you know, when it comes to relationships with other human beings, you know, I might reserve deep joy. I might think of that, you know, when am I going to have deep joy? Well, you know, maybe on wedding day, on the birth of a child or, or time spent with a treasured grandparent, memories made with friends and family. But I wouldn't say deep, I wouldn't put deep joy in the category of sort of being with someone I've never seen or, or, or relating to them. But Peter says, no, you can have that same kind of deep joy that you, you put with those relationships that you treasure. You can have that deep joy with Jesus and even deeper joy, even though you have not seen him. Well, okay, how then do I know this Jesus who I have not seen? Well, we know him through his word, through the Bible, as the Holy Spirit helps us to understand it. And we, but then we might say, well, come off it. It's not the same as seeing Jesus and knowing him like, like Peter did, for example. You know, he's one to talk, isn't he? Though you have not seen him, you love him. Well, you can say that, Peter. You have seen him. What would Peter say to that? So I was really helped by um, John Piper put me onto a couple of thoughts about this. Peter might say, well, have, have you read Mark's gospel? Have you seen there how many people saw Jesus face to face and yet did not see who he really was they saw him they were there right in front of them and they were like no this isn't the son of God we haven't seen the son of God they would say no we haven't he's not the messiah and then halfway through Mark's gospel Peter is the first to get it and after eight chapters of complete blindness from the crowds, the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Romans, many of whom persist in that blindness, he sees it. So, so I think Peter would say, don't think seeing is automatically better. For many, many people, just seeing Jesus wasn't enough. But more than that, actually, when an individual did see Jesus and did even see who he was, what did they actually see when they encountered him? Well, you know, think of, I don't know, Nicodemus. He heard a short speech from Jesus at night. Zacchaeus watched him from a tree and had a brief meal with him. The thief on the cross, you know, he, he never even met, met him until a few hours before his death. And all these and many, many, many others, they got snatched fragments of conversation, a bit of teaching here and there, an insight into Jesus's identity and mission. And we... Even 2,000 years later, we get four primary and secondary eyewitness portraits of Jesus, carefully researched, taking us into the heart of the apostolic band to see Jesus from multiple perspectives. We see with their eyes, and therefore we can know him. We can know him. We can know him, and we can love him because we know his character, we know his deeds, we know his words. We know that he loves us. We know that as he went to the cross, he was doing that for us, for his people. It's not too much of a stretch to say that at some level, Jesus had us in mind as he went to the cross. Certainly in eternity, as the Father sent the Son and the Son obeyed, his, obeyed the Father, they did that with his people in mind, with us. If we're trusting in Jesus, we can know he, he did it for me. That's how much he loves us. And so our love then is about what we set our affection on, what we are passionate about, what we live for, what gets us up in the morning. What, what, what is that for you and for me? What do we love? What do we set our affection on? Well, suffering, again, will challenge 
that love if our love ultimately is for anything or anyone first and foremost other than Jesus. Helen Rosevear was a missionary doctor in the Congo who wrote and spoke extensively about sacrifice and suffering and she was brutally attacked at least twice during her time and, and, and she's with the lords that she served now but I heard an interview recently with her before she died where she was asked what she wanted to say to the people who'd come to this conference that she was speaking at. And she said, I want people to know you will never truly love Jesus until he is your all in all. Until you say it is his right to choose the path of your life. It's not your right. Until you say he's in control, not you. Can you see loving Jesus? You know, I, I, I think sometimes we worry, oh, loving, that's romantic love. How, how do you love? Do I, do, I, do I want to say I love Jesus? You know, and love covers a whole range of things, doesn't it? And this is what this kind of love for Jesus means, saying he's the boss. Actually, my whole life is for him. I'm devoted to him. He's in charge. And when you do that, you'll find you are free to love him and rejoice in that even when you suffer because your whole life is about him. That's what Peter is saying. You know, so often as Christians, we, we focus merely on what Jesus can give us. Wonderful things, forgiveness, hope, eternal life. Great, you know, the, the fruits of trusting in Jesus are, are, are glorious, but that's all true and that's all great. But Peter wants to see beyond simply what he can give us, which often we end up expressing slightly abstractly as sort of forgiveness, salvation, redemption. He gives us these things. No, see beyond those gifts and see the giver. Realize that if you have Jesus, you have everything you need. Though you have not seen him, you love him. You can do that. So the suffering and exile these Christians Peter is writing to shows that their faith is real and it shows that their love for God is real. And then finally, it shows that their hope for the future is real. Verse nine, just briefly, verse nine, their hope for the future is real. This completes the thought from last week. Verse five uh, talks about the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. It's all one sentence, remember, this, this whole first paragraph up to verse 12. One big thought, we're doing it slowly but they are able to rejoice because they know their future hope is coming. They are receiving the outcome of their faith, the salvation of their souls. Salvation means different things in the Bible, but here, look at verse five. It's about uh, when Jesus returns. That's what he's talking about here when he uses that word salvation. When Jesus comes back, when he, it's a sort of future thing. When he brings new heaven and new earth and we rise with new bodies and we live free from sin it's that is the outcome of our faith we trust and then salvation comes at the end and peter is saying even when you suffer you can know that now today when you feel like god has not shown up salvation is coming the day will come keep living for there and then not here and now we we had open doors with us on Wednesday at our prayer meeting with one of our mission partners. We had Andy who came and joined us on Zoom to share with us about the work of Open Doors. 
And one of the people, and Open Doors supports the persecuted church worldwide. And even as we suffer now, it's really helpful to remember how good we have it compared to Christians in, in many parts of the world. Think of a, a girl who came to prominence a couple of years ago, Leah Sharibu. Two years ago, age 16, she was abducted, abducted from her school by Boko Haram in northern Nigeria, along with a number of other girls. And all the other girls were released after they agreed to convert to Islam. But Leah Sharibu refused because of her faith in Christ. And there was a bit of an outcry at a time as on international spotlight was put on her. Do you know, two years later, she's still there. She's still in captivity, apparently serving a Boko Haram fighter as a slave. How could you possibly stand firm in that situation? How could you possibly choose not to say the words that you know will get you set free and remain in such horrendous conditions as a result of just saying, no, I, I, I actually, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. How could you possibly do that? Only if you believe salvation is coming, that this world, that this life is not all there is, that there will be a day of reckoning and justice, that meanwhile, in the midst of trials and suffering, you can know, you can have the joy of knowing Christ even now, even in captivity, if that is your situation. Well, we should pray for her, but we should pray for ourselves in, in, in situations that are relatively way easier than that. Pray for ourselves to have that same future focused confidence that shows, yeah, my, this hope is real. So in the midst of, of trials, and while we do not see Jesus, you know, the world around us will deal with times like this, as they are now, with fre either frenetic activity, you know, serve, do this, you know, act, um, save the world through, through um, volunteering and doing everything you can, as good as all that stuff is, but they'll say, you know, that's the solution of our problems. Or, or they'll say, Hedonistic escapism, you know, just, just forget the world, whether it's drink or experiences or just sticking the headphones on, blotting the world out. We have something better if we're trusting in Jesus. And if you're not trusting in Jesus, you can have this same joy too. You can put your trust in him today and, and know him. And that means if we are trusting in Jesus, we, let's take every opportunity we can to get into his word, to, to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Whether it's through the week, through our times reading the Bible, whether it's um, listening to Christian music that just gets Christian hope into our heads as we go through the week, as we face the daily reality of life in lockdown and beyond. We want our, our, our minds and our hearts to be filled with Jesus because it's all about him, it's all about living for him. And then we can know as we do that, that he's continuing to refine our faith so that we can rejoice even when we're suffering. Because our faith, the object of our faith is being shown to be real and then our actual faith as we trust is being shown to be real too. Our love for God is being shown to be real and worthwhile and, and will grow as we trust in him. And our hope for the future is spurring us on and being shown to be real too. Let me pray now. Father, for each one of us, as we reflect on these words, I pray that you would be helping us to lift our eyes out of the circumstances we're in, which feel so real and difficult and challenging at times. 
Help us to see what you've done for us in Jesus, for the hope that we have for the future, for the love that we can have for you even now, and the faith that is being refined as you refine us, and as you help us to just grow in confidence that Jesus has died and risen, that these things cannot be taken away from us as much as all our other crutches and props fall away as the, the fire of suffering burns them up. May our trust in Jesus grow and grow. And may we then introduce others to him too. And for anyone yet to put their trust in this Jesus, would you help them to do that right now today? And to then have the sure and certain confidence of future hope that is ours when we trust in Jesus. Amen.